The church exists for the unique purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It is the only organization that has the mission and the message to accomplish making disciples. You understand that? We have God's mission, we have God's message, and we have God's power. Thanks for joining us today for Resonate with Trent Griffith. I'm Aaron Paulus. Many of us, when we think about church, may think of a stoic building with stained glass or steeples, or maybe a place that we visit to celebrate Christmas and Easter. But have you ever thought about the church as a bride? Today, we'll hear how the Bible defines church in the next message from the series, Think, Christianity in High Definition. Here's Pastor Trent. We've been in this series called Think. We've thought about the doctrine of God and the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of revelation and the doctrine of salvation over the last few weeks. And this morning, we're going to talk about the doctrine of the church. If you want to sound like a Bible fathead, you can use the word ecclesiology. That's what we call this. And uh, by the way, point to the closest theologian near you. Do that. No, point at me. Point at yourself. We're all theologians. To be a theologian means we're thinking about God and what does God have to say about the questions that we have. And so as we study the Scripture this morning, we're bringing our questions to the Scripture. This morning, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to allow God, through His Word, to answer our questions. The first question is, what is a church? Number two, what is the mission of a church? Number three, what are the marks of a healthy church? So we're going to try to answer those questions as we go along here. Now, as we get into this, let me, uh, let me just kind of paint a picture for you. What if, uh, let's say that you and I are really close buddies and, and uh, we just, we both loved football and we both loved each other. And so you invited me over to your house to watch college football. And I, I, <laughs> I love college football and I love your couch and I love you. But I got to ask you a question. Is your wife going to be there? And you say, well, what, what difference does that make? Oh, man, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but your wife is really ugly. I mean, she's got all these scars and blemishes and stuff. Have you taken a close look at your wife lately? I mean, she's kind of offensive. And as a matter of fact, I don't even want to be in the same room with her. So if me coming over to share a little time with you means that I got to spend time with your wife, I'm not coming. Now, do you think that would affect our relationship a little bit? Like, man, what are you dissing on my wife for, right? Well, let me tell you something about the church. Do you know that the most often used picture for the church in the Scripture is the bride of Christ? And some of you have an attitude toward the bride of Christ that I just described in that illustration. You say, oh, I love Jesus. I just can't stand his bride. I don't even want to be in the same room with his bride. A couple of years ago, in April of 2012, Newsweek put Jesus on the cover with the headline that said this, forget the church, follow Jesus. As if you can do that. There is a brand of churchless Christianity being promoted in our country. To hear some tell it, you would have to leave the church in order to be the church. What if I told you, I am a quarterback? You say, oh, that's nice. Well, um, what team do you play for? 
And I said, oh, I don't have a team, but I'm a quarterback. He said, really? Who catches your passes? I haven't completed a pass in years because I just go out there and I just throw the ball because I'm a quarterback. I mean, I can drop back and I can go through the motions of handing off. Nobody ever takes it, but I can try, you know, and I don't have a team, but I'm a quarterback. Really? How many touchdowns have you thrown? None. You have no statistics? No. Why? Because I don't play on a team. Now, after a while, if I tell you I'm a quarterback, but I can't identify the team I play for, don't you think you'd have a right to question my claim that I'm a quarterback? Dude, you're not a quarterback. In the same sense, if you say I'm a Christian and I say, oh, really, what church do you belong to? And you say, oh, I don't want to go to church. I have as much right to question your claim that you are a Christian as you would have to question my claim that I'm a quarterback because every Christian has a team and it's called the church. So we're going to think about the church. Now, let me ask you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Acts. And we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts. If you're quick, you can flip around. We're going to be in there a lot this morning. We'll be in some other places as well. But the story of Acts, the book of Acts, is the history of the first church. And so we're going to allow God's Word to answer our questions about the church this morning. And let me just say that if you're a person that thinks that Christianity's cool, spirituality's cool, but church is lame, I, I want to challenge you this morning to rethink church. As a matter of fact, your understanding of church may be blurred a little bit by some past experience. And you may, you may be kind of suspicious, and I've already met a bunch of people this morning that you're here for the first time, and, and I, I, hey, I'm Trent, I'm glad you're here this morning. And they say, we're looking for a church. My response is, I can recommend one, you know, I, 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 I'd like to introduce you to one. I, I think it's pretty great. And, and this morning uh, and all through the week, I've just been so filled with joy as I've thought about not just church in general, but our church, Harvest Bible Chapel. But there are a lot of people that are suspicious of church, rightly so, because the church has not always been a very pure bride, and yet Jesus still loves her. And Jesus is still committed to her. And as a matter of fact, he is still washing her and purifying her and one day will glorify her and present her to his Father. We're in process. No such thing as a perfect church. Harvest is not a perfect church, but it's a good church. John Stott is an Anglican theologian who passed away last year, and he said this about the church. The church lives at the center of the eternal purposes of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For this purpose, conceived in a past eternity being worked out in history and being perfected in future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build His church. That is to call out of the world a people for His own glory. So here's the first question we're going to attempt to answer this morning. It is this, what is a church? Let's let Jesus answer that question from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus looks at his disciples, and the first use of the word church in the Bible 
is found here in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we see that statement through our understanding of church. And you see the word church, you might think of a steeple, and you might think about uh, the building that's going on out here on the south side of the property. And uh, this week, the foundation of that building is going to be poured, I think, on Thursday. But how many of you understand that the foundation of the church is not going to be poured on Thursday? Jesus is the foundation of the church. And when he said, I am building something, he wasn't talking about brick and mortar. What was he talking about? This word church that he, he coined the phrase when he said that, he pulled a word out of Greek vocabulary and he inserted it into what he was calling for the first time, the church. And what was the word? The word that he used was the word ecclesia. Later on, he said, uh, th this is said about Christ and his church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for his bride, the church. And so this word ecclesia is an interesting word. We need to understand what it is. This is what Jesus was talking about. The word ecclesia, it's a Greek word, and it simply means this. It means called out from. You know what that means? That the church is distinct from the world. At one time, we were all part of the world, broken, fallen, unredeemed, worthy of death, worthy of judgment, and God has called us out. We are to be distinct. We are to be different. We have a new identity, and we have a new destiny. That's the first part of what it means to be the ecclesia, to be called out. And so if you claim to be a part of a church, you're saying, I'm not like the world. There's a second part of this definition we need to understand. It's not only called out from, it is assembled together with. It means to be assembled. That means that we gather together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and even more so as we see that day approaching. And so we are to assemble together. That's why this morning worship service weekly on the Lord's Day is so important. And those of you that kind of hit and miss, and we, we gather together. Why? Because we, we need to be filled up. And then the third part of this is to be sent out. We are called out from, we are assembled together with, and then we are sent out to. To who? Remember who we were called out from? How did they, how did we get called out? We got called out by someone who was a part of a church who preached the gospel to us. And then God gave us the faith and repentance to believe and we were converted and we were called out. Now we are sent back to share that good news that you too can now be a part of what Jesus loves. We are the ecclesia, called out from, assembled together with, and sent out to. So what is the church? Here's our high definition understanding of the church. We'll use this simple definition. It is the community of regenerate believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. The community of regenerate believers 
Remember, we talked about the doctrine of regeneration a couple of weeks ago. We were once dead, and in a moment, in an instant, God gave us new birth, which produced new life, which gave us a new spirit, and that we are alive spiritually. We're believing things that are unbelievable apart from God's spirit, convincing us of things that are true. And we confess publicly, openly, unashamed, want the world to know Jesus is Lord. That's who the church is. Now, any other definition you have, it it falls short. And so it's not just what we think of when we think of church. Most of us, when we think of church, we think of church visible. The church I can see. The church has an address, has a phone number, has a website, has a building. We come to the place. We think of, of the gathered body. But there is also a sense in which the church is invisible. The reality is this. There are a lot of people who confess Jesus with their mouth, that do not have Jesus in their heart. They have Jesus on their lips. They don't have Jesus as their Lord. And there are a lot of people who are actually made it through the membership process of a church, but only the Lord really knows who's a part of his church. Now, we make it really difficult for you to be a part of this church. We actually... it's. It, expect you to like agree with our doctrinal statement. So we ask you to come and, and, uh, and read the doctrinal statement with us. And if that doesn't scare you off, you can sign on the dotted line and say, I believe that. I believe what these people believe. And if you don't believe what we believe, then why would you want to be a member? You're just going to be frustrated. So if we don't believe the same thing, let's don't pretend like we're members. But if you make it through that process, then we ask you to actually write out your conversion story. And say, uh, you know, here's what I was like before I met Christ, and here's how I got called out, and, and here in faith and repentance, and, and then here's what's changed as a result of it, and Jesus is Lord, and here's the evidence of it. And then we, if you get through the written part of it, then we ask you to actually verbalize that to one of our elders. Why? Because we want to ensure that those who are a part of this church are actually saved. We have found that the best church members are Christians. So only the Lord knows the visible and the invisible, not only that, but the local and the universal church. Do you understand that there is only one church in Granger? Just one. There are many local expressions of the church in Granger, but there's only one church. And we, we are one together. There is a universal sense. But please understand that, that every mention of the church in the New Testament is talking about a local gathered assembly of believers under the leadership of senior level eldership, pastorship in that local church. So it's not enough to say, oh yeah, I've been saved, I've been born again, I'm a part of the universal church. I would say, you're a quarterback. Are you? What team do you play for? Yeah, I play for that team called Harvest Bible Chapel, and that's where I serve, and that's where I worship, and that's where I I partner together. Yeah, okay, now we're talking about a local church. Are you a member of a local church? And by the way, a gathering of a family on a Sunday morning around the breakfast table with a dad with an open Bible is not a church. That's a family, okay? We come together with other families to be the church, to accomplish the mission that God has given us. It's not only visible and invisible. It's not only local and universal. It is also now and for all time. The same group of believers that we're about to read about here in Acts chapter 2 
is a part of the same church that you and I are a part of. And after we're dead and gone, the church lives on. And yet there is a sense in which right now at this time in Granger, God has something special for this local body to do. Do you know what we're supposed to do? Let's find out some of the things that we're supposed to do. Look here in Acts chapter 2 and beginning in verse 42. He says, and they devoted themselves. Underline the word devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayers. Now, of those four things, the, do you know which one of those we're most good at? Most of us are really devoted to the breaking of bread. I mean, we get that one right. We, we, just, we don't let that one go by too much. But the things that we have to be intentional about are being in, devoted to the teaching, the doctrinal truths of Scripture taught by men that God has elevated in the church as leaders. We should be devoted also to the fellowship, contrary to popular opinion, that is not two fellows in a ship. Much more than that. That is a friendship, a family relationship where we are known, loved, and cared for. That's what it means to have fellowship. It doesn't just mean going to Starbucks and having coffee and a donut. That's not fellowship. Um, so we are to devote ourselves to fellowship, and then also it says that we're to devote ourselves to the prayers. And then look at what God does when we get those things right. When we devote ourselves to that, God gets involved. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Underline the word in common. Do you know what makes a church uncommon? That it has all things in common. What is uncommon leadership? It means that the leaders are gathered around together and we are all leading in the same direction. We're all pulling on the same side of the rope. We're not pulling against each other and have different agendas. It's an uncommon leadership that produces an in-common church. Look at verse 45. It, it got real practical. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day. Notice it doesn't say week by week. How often did they gather together? Every day they had commonality in which they shared their lives with one another. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, so they had large group, small group, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. There's the worship. Praising God with favor of all people. There's the influence being sent out. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you know what we would have to do to match this church? If we were to baptize someone day by day, we would need to baptize 365 new converts in a year in order to say that, you know what, day by day, God added to the church. I long for that to happen as we start the new ministry year. But what's going to prevent us from, from getting that done 
It's misunderstanding our purpose. It's getting distracted by a lot of good things and distracted from the main thing. It's going to be being consumed with our stuff and our unwillingness to share our possessions and to share our lives. It's our unwillingness to devote ourselves to the teaching. It's our unwillingness to pray. It's our unwillingness to fellowship together. If we'll get our part right and not just be interested in those things, but rather devoted to those things, I believe God will get involved and do in our church what he did in the original church in Acts chapter 2. Would you join me in praying that God would create that kind of community? That's an uncommon community. And that's what we're going for. We are going for an uncommon community because we understand what Jesus does through his church. The second question we want to ask this morning and answer is this. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? Turn over to Acts chapter 14. As you're doing that, let me give you the definition we're going to use. The mission of the church is this. The church exists for the unique purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. You know, at times the church gets out of balance. And the church can be kind of like that pendulum in the grandfather clock that swings from one side to the other. And a lot of times the church is so extreme that it bangs the sides out of the grandfather clock as it swings back and forth. There's been a great movement in the church over the last decade or so to challenge comfortable Christianity, to repent of being comfortable, and to become radical Christians. That's a great movement. That's awesome. Get out of your little comfort zone. Get out of your little four walls of your little worship service and go to the hard places and say the hard things and do the hard things and take the gospel to the least of these. All of those things are, it's a wonderful correction that the church needs. Pendulum. You know what we're in danger of now? We're in danger of thinking that the only kind of Christianity is radical Christianity. Can I give you a thought? The new radical is faithful. Just be faithful to the mission of the church and don't get distracted by so many good things that we miss accomplishing the main thing. The church ought to do a lot of great things. The church ought to have concern for orphans. The church ought to have concern for world hunger. The church ought to have uh, a concern for a cure for ALS. The church exists for the unique purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It is the only organization that has the mission and the message to accomplish making disciples. You understand that? We have God's mission, we have God's message, and we have God's power. And we ought to, where we can, alleviate suffering in the world especially eternal suffering. That is the only, the only, the church has the only message that can relieve eternal suffering. So that's what we give ourselves to, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Do you want to see it here in Acts chapter 14? What do they do? What do they do? How do you get that done? How did the church accomplish its mission? Acts chapter 14, look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to the city. And notice how what happens after you preach the gospel. 
and made many disciples. You know, just stop right there. Do you understand? The most powerful tool that the church has to make disciples is the unapologetic preaching of the gospel. What's the mission of the church? It's to make disciples. How does the church make disciples? By preaching the gospel. We've got to get the gospel right, and we've got to get the gospel out. And when we do that, God gets involved in the mission, and God makes the disciples. And then, notice it says, they returned to three places. That's not insignificant. Where did they go? They went to their three local congregations every New Testament church was a local New Testament church, one in Lystra, one in Iconium, and one in Antioch. And notice, they didn't just preach the gospel. Verse 22, what else did they do? They strengthened the souls of the disciples. Why? Because the souls of disciples sometimes get really weak, and they need to be strengthened. So we get involved personally in soul care. I'm concerned about what's going on in your soul and, and what you're thinking and what you're feeling and the pressure that you're under, and I want to strengthen you in the middle of that. And I'm not just interesting in, interested in making an admirer of Jesus. I'm interested in making a disciple of Jesus. That's a lifelong process because the souls of disciples are weak and they need to be strengthened. And not only strengthening, but encouraging them to continue in the faith. Why? Because sometimes we doubt. Is this worth it? And I watch the news and I see what's happening and I'm like, this is, it's just, I just don't know if I believe that there's a good God that cares about any of this. And so what do we do? We encourage one another to continue in the faith, the faith in what you once believed. You re-believe every time. You hear the preaching of the gospel. Not only that, but saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you had a rough week, if your bank account is near zero, if your cholesterol is high, if your kids are out of control, and your wife really is ugly, <laughs> and your husband is brutal with his words, Here's the good news. God cares and loves you enough that he has a kingdom waiting for you when you will be glorified, your brutal husband will be glorified, your wife will be glorified. There's good news. And what's going to remind you of the good news? It's the mission of the church to encourage and strengthen and to say to one another, we're going to make it through the tribulations and we're not living as citizens of the kingdom of this world. We are waiting a better citizenship, a better kingdom because we are part of the church. The church, Big C, exists for the unique purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. The church, Little C, is a local expression of the universal body of believers. Well, our hope for you is that you've made a commitment to a local Bible-believing church and that you're growing in the knowledge of and obedience to the Lord Jesus. If you're not part of a local church, we'd love for you to check out Harvest. 
Well, you've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. Visit us at one of our weekend services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I pray that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind. Join us next week at this same time for Resonate with Trent Griffith. Resonate is a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.